0: right you guys welcome back to our next episode of return so glad to have you join us here today and benji i'm so glad that you're back
1: i'm back guys i returned
0: you returned we missed you on the last two episodes
1: yeah it's a bummer i wasn't able to be here i know
0: but um we are going to be talking together about the last title that we see of Jesus in Revelation 1 5 which is the ruler over the kings of the earth and I'm excited about this one because it's a big title it's epic pretty epic
1: yeah it is
0: so let's jump in Okay, so we have been making our way through Revelation 1, um, and we've been looking at the titles that we've seen of Jesus in Revelation 1-5, and uh, I think in the next few episodes we'll probably take a break from working our way through and and maybe talk a little bit more about some things that we see in current events and... Um, Yeah, just, you know, maybe jumping around a little bit more to kind of fill in some of the blanks related to this end time storyline.
1: Which is crazy.
0: Yeah. And, for example, talking about um, Israel and just other really big key components and, and trying to break down why they're so important and why we should understand them. So you can be looking for that in upcoming episodes because... We're not necessarily going to make our way systematically through the book of Revelation. Um, wait, pausing. Quick side note. Benji is actually, you're about to launch a 60-day study?
1: Yeah, we started. You started? Monday.
0: You started this past Monday, but it's not too late for people to jump in if they wanted to, right?
1: They, Yeah, if you know Spanish and you want to study the book of Revelation with me for 60 days, um, You can jump in.
0: Yeah. You like are going to go verse by verse or how are you going to do it?
1: Verse by verse sometimes, but chapter by chapter for sure. I, My vision is to teach people how to teach this to a five-year-old. It's that awesome. you can explain the book of Revelation every chapter, at least an outline in five minutes.
0: Yeah. So you're going to go more systematically through that. Yes.
1: So just to give people tools So they can study for the next 20 years.
0: That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So that's in Spanish. So you obviously have to speak Spanish if you want to do it. We should do it in English
1: one of these days.
0: That would be awesome.
1: Yeah, we should do it.
0: We'll go more systematically through it. But if you want to find out more about that, you can go to...
1: CasasDeOracion.com
0: CasasDeOracion.com Okay, that was our quick pause, side note. But jumping back into this. Okay, so this title of Jesus ruler over the kings of the earth yeah what is i'm gonna ask you this question what is one or two things that stick out to you about this title
1: that he was chosen to be the king forever that he has the possession of the earth he owns the earth and everything and uh was anointed like, we think of the Jesus, the Messiah, as the little baby in the manger, and you are the anointed one. And I don't know, There's sometimes I used to believe that the anointing, I mean, we have this funny f- way of thinking about the anointing, you know, like conferences. Oh, I f- that person is so anointed. Oh, that meeting was so anointed. And the anointing of something that you feel, 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 feel. Which is, is true, but it's not even two percent of what the anointing means. The, when we think about Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, mostly is to be the king. Mm-hmm. People were anointed to be king and to receive authority to make decisions as judges, as rulers. Uh, you know, it, they have the authority to bring death penalty in the Old Testament. It was not like a light thing, you know, it was to be the anointed of God.
0: Yeah.
1: It was like the most, uh, the heaviest title you can have. Mm -hmm. So when I think about Jesus, the anointed one, I mean, uh, what I think is he's going to rule over Germany, over Mexico, over the United States. He's over any president because he's the anointed one and he will make change. Yeah. You know, so that's what I think.
0: Yeah, I think we have this idea of when we think about Jesus as a king, we kind of like think of it as a little bit of an ethereal title. And I think part of that comes from the fact that we actually often think about heaven as being this ethereal place. Like, you know, after we die, we're going to go sit on a cloud and and play harps for forever. And we don't, in in our Western mindset, in our Christian mindset, Western Christian mindset, we um, tend to think of the spiritual realm as very ethereal rather than like there's a physical kingdom and a physical place that Jesus is king over. And even as believers, we know that we become citizens of a a kingdom, a real kingdom. So this title of Jesus as a king, I think sometimes we think of it as just like this spiritual thing. But the fact is, Jesus is a literal king who sits on a literal throne. And as we know from uh, Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us when he says, you know, the disciples are like, Jesus teaches how to pray. He says, okay, this is what I want you to pray. My kingdom come to the earth. My will be done on the earth as it is right now in heaven. Yeah, Meaning... Jesus is going to one day bring his physical kingdom to the earth. And, you know, at the cross, we obviously, at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we see this breakthrough of the kingdom of God in a massive way where in our spirits we have, uh, we get to access that full citizenship of the kingdom. We get to access, you know, healing and power and everything that Jesus paid for at the cross. Yeah. But there is a a day when he's actually going to come and set up a physical kingdom on the earth.
1: Yeah, combined with a spiritual kingdom, both. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 says that both realms, physical and spiritual, combine in Jesus. Yeah. He's the anointed one. He is the one who's going to bring heaven and earth together. And, And what I love about the kingdom and Jesus be the king of that kingdom is that he has a nationality. Yeah. Jesus has a citizenship and is not heaven anymore, is Israel. He is a Jew Yeah, that is going to come back, that was was born in Israel. So this kingdom, because he has a citizenship, he's going to rule from his city, Yes, which is Jerusalem. So it's real. It's in the face of all the Muslim world, of all the American world, every kingdom has to f- confront the fact that this supernatural king was born in Israel. <laughs> yeah. So it's like he's actually going to rule from Israel. Not the not the ethereal spiritual Israel that we th- sometimes think of. Oh, we are the spiritual Israel. No, no, no. The actual Israel. He's coming back to rule from there. So it's I mean that's the point of your, the name of your podcast, return.
0: Yeah. yeah. And yeah, just the fact that he's the ruler over all the kings of the earth yeah, shows that he's coming and he's going to set up his kingdom and he is literally going to be the highest governing authority over the yeah. whole earth. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be other kings on the earth. It's just that he is the highest authority. Yeah. Um, and that's why in future episodes we want to look at, like, why is Israel so important and why is it that the church hasn't replaced Israel, et cetera? And it really ties in a lot to um, just this theme that Jesus is going to come and base his capital out of Jerusalem. But we'll save yeah. that for That's another day. That's a massive subject. It's, it's massive.
1: Probably is going to be a serious.
0: Yeah. So um, I wanted to actually bring in Second Samuel 7 because it really ties into what we were just saying Um The fact that Jesus is a king, we're not just pulling that out of nowhere. Um, And that's where I wanted to kind of look at the root of it in 2 Samuel 7. Really briefly, we see that God makes this covenant with King David. And basically the story goes, David, you know, he's king in Jerusalem and he has this desire to build an actual house or like an actual temple for God because Uh, Previously, we know that God had just dwelt among the Israelites in a tabernacle. Um, Long story short, uh, the Lord comes back to David and basically says, like, you wanted to build me a house. I, I truly believe that it really moved the heart of God that David desired to build him an actual house. But what we see here is God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. Your your son Solomon is going to build me a house. But David, I'm so moved by the fact that you want to build me a house. I'm actually going to build you a house.
1: And Which means, means a kingdom.
0: Yeah, a kingdom. Because we see in 2 Samuel 7, verse 11, it says, Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, or it's also translated a royal dynasty. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is a massive um, point because we see from this passage that God is basically inaugurating the fact that he is going to have... One day there's going to be a king that will sit on the throne of David, meaning ruling from Jerusalem, just like King David did, and that king would rule forever. And um, just an interesting kind of side note on this because this really helped me um, actually understand a little bit more some of the Old Testament books that we see, like as we go through First and Second Kings and even Chronicles, we see all of these kings that it's listing, you know, that came after David. And it says, so-and-so king, you know, did good in the sight of the Lord and followed after his father David, or so-and-so king did evil in the sight of the Lord and and followed after, you know, the Baals and the, and the gods. And essentially what we're seeing from those books is uh, the authors are saying, like, we're looking— for this promised king we're looking for the king that god promised uh david would sit on his throne and and would establish the kingdom for forever but what we see is even the best of israel's kings like for example king uzziah who was known as one of the best kings in israel's history he ends his life Basically, thinking that he's a king and a priest, and and he ends up getting leprosy, and so we see that even the best of Israel's kings, like fall short of this standard that God sets forth, and so all throughout the Old Testament, we're looking for this king who would be a son of David, and who would like essentially live forever, because all these kings lived and then and then died, right. But we're looking for a king who um, would be able to set up his throne and rule forever over all of the kingdom. And so that's where we really get um, the idea that Jesus isn't just a savior, but he's a Messiah. And actually, from the Jewish point of view, they don't actually even see the Messiah necessarily as someone who would come and... Um, like cleanse them from inward sins. That's actually why even for Jews, it's really difficult for them to receive Jesus as Messiah because in their paradigm of a Messiah or as like a coming King, they didn't have that paradigm that the King would come and cleanse them first of their inward sins. They actually had a more of an understanding that he would come as a King and overthrow you know, all the oppressive nations against them. So for example, when Jesus came to the earth, um, they were expecting him to overthrow the Roman empire at the time. That's why we see at different times people tried to make him uh, their king because they wanted him to start this revolution and overthrow the Roman um, oppression over them. And so just like, it's interesting how, um, yeah, they don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily have this view of Messiah as being the one to first cleanse them inwardly so that they could dwell together in a physical kingdom. But that's actually, to me, that's the beauty of the book of Isaiah is we see this like question mark, um, put forth, like, how is it that, how is it that the Messiah is going to come and set up this glorious millennial kingdom? You know where the King is coming and and dwelling with His people, and we see the answer comes first in um, Isaiah fifty three. He has to come as a suffering servant. He has to cleanse them from their sin inwardly to be able for God to be able to dwell with them physically, which is kind of what we've been talking about in some of these previous episodes. And that's
1: why it was so offensive for them. That's why they end up killing Jesus. He used the title, which later on, Daniel chapter 7, the whole chapter 7, it was a continuation of what Isaiah saw. And Daniel sees this man, son of man, that's the title, the son of man, that is a priest, that is a king, that is heavenly, that is the son of God, but he's coming in the clouds to destroy all the beasts, every single beast, every single empire, enemy of, of Israel and enemy of God in the world. So Daniel seven is this mysterious man. That is the culmination of everything. And he's like, it he gives the kingdom to his servants and mm-hmm. is restored forever. Then, uh, he sees it in chapter 2 of Daniel. He sees it like this stone coming from heaven, destroying all the kingdoms and becoming the greatest mountain. So this is why they killed Jesus, because he said 89 times, I am the son of man. Mm-hmm. I, it was not just like, oh, I'm well, because we're, we're not uh, acquainted to this title i used to think oh he's saying i am a man that would be weird he's using the greatest title He's like i don't know him saying i'm batman it's like <laughs> son of man for the jewish culture was like the, the messiah like the dude that is gonna come and destroy everything but you it, it, look how jesus combined it every single time jesus said i am the son of man he combined it with humility the son of man doesn't have a place to rest the son of man is poor the son of man came to die the son so they were like what so it's, it's what you're saying it was it was so offensive but now we know that um we're so away from that title right now in the church that we think kingdom we we think king is just ethereal my relationship Oh, be the king of my heart yes i want to be the king of your heart but i want to be the king of the earth yeah you know, so so it's both, and so yeah. and I just one one thing that I love about the the Book of Acts, you know, Jesus comes back. He's forty days. I mean, after the resurrection, forty days with the disciples. They're in an internship with the glorified resurrected Jesus that appears and disappears and goes through walls, <laughs> but he's still so eating awesome. with them. It's crazy, like with scars in his hands and his side but he's fine like forever and um 40-day internship with jesus and the the question they ask him before he's going up into heaven
0: and with the clouds
1: with the clouds it's crazy what would be the question that you ask jesus after they received the spirit they were filled with the holy spirit before the outpouring of the holy spirit you you know
0: Because he breathed on them. Yeah, they
1: breathed on them and they received the spirit. It's like a down payment because they needed to have the understanding of what Jesus had to say for 40 days. And it says that he spoke to them only about the kingdom. That's That's the internship of internships ever. And they only have one question to ask Jesus before he disappears for 2,000 years. What would you ask him? And they ask him, is this the time... Is this the generation that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning, is this the time that you're going to establish the whole thing physically? Mm
0: -hmm. Are you going to rule now?
1: Yeah. Are you the son of David? Is this the time? So that's the question that we should be asking right now as a church 2,000 years later. Mm -hmm. How are you going to do it right now? Instead of only like, are you going to be the king of my heart? Yes. We already know that you, we love you, but are you going to actually rule over the kings of the earth? Yeah. So I I just love that question.
0: Yeah. And just to tie the title of Son of Man to that passage in Acts 1 that you were just talking about, Mm -hmm. it's interesting because the disciples asked Jesus, is now the time? And then, you know, a few minutes later, we see him taken up in a cloud. Yeah. And the whole uh, title of the Son of Man. The the crazy thing about it um, is, Son of Man. In Daniel seven, we see it says, "One like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days," meaning approaching God the Father on clouds. And so we see this God Man who's able to actually approach the Holy One, able yeah. to approach the Burning One, able to approach God, where. No man before had been able to come near to him because man was sinful. If man approached God, he would die. (laughs) But we see this son of man riding on these clouds, approaching the Ancient of Days. And it's just so interesting because the angels in Acts 1 say, this same Jesus who you see taken away, he's going to come in the same way he was taken, meaning he's going to come with the clouds again yeah. when he returns to the earth.
1: And they don't get corrected by Jesus or the angels, like, duh, that's a dumb question. It's like, no, that's the right question, but this is not the season. This is not the time. Only the Father will tell you in time. And the way that he's going to tell is not by a revelation from some preachers that, you know, we have to follow, is when the generation in which the Lord will return, is living all the signs that he gave us. Mm-hmm. That's how we will know the seasons. And I don't know, but we, you and I, Gabe, we've been look, um, looking at the news, listening to the news, looking around what's happening. It's crazy. It's happening. Yeah. We are living the generation in which the Lord will return. Yeah, And a generation, according to Genesis 15, is 100 years. So we don't know the day and the hour, but we do know the generation.
0: The signs and the seasons, yeah.
1: It's happening. Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. Israel being restored in 1948 and, you know, 1967. um, Anti-Semitism growing. And then the Great Commission being fulfilled in this generation. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I want to jump on that last one for a second because... Um, again, that the disciples asked Jesus the question, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And he tells them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And and this is the point I'm making. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth.
1: Oh, that's so good.
0: And then we cross-reference... Matthew 24, 14, when Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth, and then the end will come. That's good. It's like, oh, Jesus makes it so clear. so clear. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is going to go throughout the whole earth. Jesus, as a king, is going to be preached. And it's crazy, you guys, because if you talk to lead missions organizations right now like Every Home for Christ, YWAM, um uh FAN, like you just you name them, they're all saying uh what is it with by twenty 2024, me.
1: 2026 statistically.
0: They're gonna preach the gospel in every language, tribe and tongue on yeah.
1: the earth. That's yeah. insane. That's crazy. And the Bible translated at least the one of the Gospels, the Book of Luke. I think it's yeah, it's getting there too. It's catching up. So we don't. I'm. We're not saying. Okay, yeah. Disclose, we are not saying that Jesus is coming back to twenty four.
0: No, not at all. There's we're a not, lot that needs to happen. Yeah, a
1: lot. But it's accelerating, and we are. This is the only generation that we are within reach of Matthew twenty four fourteen happening. Yeah. And then, and and, I mean, and just the word gospel, the context and the background of that word is not a biblical, I mean, it's biblical, but gospel, it was taken in the context of the Roman Empire. Gospel means I'm announcing the conquering king that is very nice with you if you accept to be under his leadership But he is a judge and he executes people if you resist this leadership. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is using a military term of the Roman Empire to announce his kingdom. And this gospel will be announced. And this is the thing that I love. And I believe that this reality we're talking about, this title of Jesus, is going to be key to sustain us with boldness as the pressure in society is hitting us. Because there's going to be a lot of intimidation that is going to escalate more and more if we preach Jesus as a king. Mm -hmm. And if we have the revelation of this title of Jesus, that he is going to rule over every ruler, he's going to give us courage to not quit. Mm -hmm. Because um, one thing, I'm just thinking, if I'm preaching the gospel to Donald Trump, or to the Prime Minister of Germany. And I say, Jesus wants to cleanse all your sins and, and give you peace. Of course, 99% of the population on the earth wants to be cleansed. You know, your conscience. Know that there's a better life in the age to come. Everyone will say that. Yes to that. But what if I say, Donald Trump, this Jesus is your president. And when he comes back... You're gonna bow down to him. Mm-hmm. That, that's a different. That that's where. Wait, wait, wait a minute. And, I mean, I love the Jesus of Christmas, and I love the Jesus that makes me feel better. But a Jesus that is a judge that I have to bow down because that's a different story. Yeah. But that's the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached in every nation. Yeah. And that's going to create the persecution.
0: Yeah, because it's not only like okay. I'm your president or I'm your king and you can keep living the way you want. Exactly. No, it's I'm a king and I'm going to set up my kingdom in all of the earth, which means the way that I rule, who I am, the fact that I love righteousness, I love justice. Those are the foundations of his throne. Yeah. That means that he's going to rule according to who he is and, and according to just those foundations, which means, okay, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I love the Sermon on the Mount, even though it is just the most provoking thing ever, yeah. because that is the constitution of God's kingdom. We have the constitution here in America, you know, the laws by which we govern and set up, you know, the American democracy. Jesus has his own constitution, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It goes into your heart, (laughs) which means that if even internally you're not aligned with his kingdom and the way that he um, is choosing to rule the earth, that means you cannot be a participant of his kingdom, which again is why he came as a savior. It's why he came and died on the cross so that he would cleanse us internally that we would receive a new heart, as Jeremiah uh, 33 talks about. 31? Jeremiah 31? Mm Mm-hmm. And and so that his laws would be able to be written on our heart. So we need inward cleansing to be able to uh, dwell in his kingdom, and then there's even just the outward, like, for us to be citizens of his kingdom. So... It's not just like, yeah, I'm coming as a kingdom and you can do whatever you want. No, he's coming as a king and He's he, he demands loyalty. Yeah, He demands that we line up to the way that he is going to rule his kingdom. Yeah.
1: So the insanity of abortion is going to be over forever. Yeah. Yeah, we can pray. Cities are going to change and move. But ultimately, when Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy the insanity of abortion forever and any injustice and i just want to maybe we want to end up with this psalm 2 thing
0: yeah we'll wrap this up
1: um we were talking about the three uh things that uh, king david tells us in psalm chapter 2 verse 10 to 12 the advice is that uh, the advice that King David tells us when this conquering king comes back, he's speaking to the church nowadays, and he's speaking to every king. He says, Now therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord. Number one, serve the Lord with fear. Number two, rejoice with trembling. And number three, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. So, this I mean, the number three is the biggest one. He's basically saying, Kiss the son because he gets angry. In his coming, he's coming as a judge. And because he's the king of kings, you don't get to vote about this. You better tremble and kiss him. Basically, it means have intimacy with him, known him as a husband, known uh, submit to him in love, kiss him now that before he comes in his wrath. So the ruler as the kings of the earth is a is a is a is a title that we should tremble about it. Yeah, it's not like a joke. It's not optional. If we don't. Follow him as a, as our king. He's gonna come in his wrath as a judge. Yeah. And the only protective side of him, the the, the only how do you say that the the only place of protection in the day of his wrath is if we have a history of kissing him. Yeah. In intimacy, what does that mean for you?
0: Well, I love the the picture of bow down and kiss the sun because it really is like a, a royal picture of someone who, if you're walking in the king's court, you would approach the king and bow down. And maybe, you know, like in, in days past, you they would s- extend their hand and you would kiss their hand or ex- extend they would extend the scepter to you and you would kiss the scepter. Like to me, there it's the acknowledgement of him as king, as him, as sovereign. But also I think there is the kiss of like you're saying intimacy where the fact is like he's he's also our bridegroom he's our bridegroom king and judge and so i think the the kiss is also of like a i agree with your leadership i agree with your laws your rules your regulations and that kiss is kind of like yeah i agree with you and how you're coming to set up your kingdom
1: yeah and uh, we can talk about this a little bit more uh, uh, later. But I'm in awe of the five, seven steps. I don't know how many, but there's a few steps that Jesus said. And then you see it in the book of Revelation and Matthew 24. Of Because Psalm 2 says, if you don't kiss him, he gets angry and you perish in the journey. What does that mean? And if you put together Matthew... 24 and the book of revelation, you see that exactly what you were saying. Jesus has a way to rule and the way that he's going to establish his kingdom forever in the end times is through judging wickedness and exposing anything that is hindering love and removing it forever. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have intimacy with him, we don't think the way he thinks, if we don't get familiar with his ways we're going to get offended. Jesus said, many will get offended at Jesus as the ruler. When you get offended, then you get bitter. Then you start, your, your love grows cold. Mm-hmm. And then you start betraying people that are following Jesus. And then you see that in the book of Revelation, when Jesus start releasing the seals, releasing the trumpets, people start hardening their hearts. They start blaspheming against God. To the point that in Revelation 16, they gather to make war against Jesus to try to kill him physically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what G- that what David is seeing. He's seeing if you don't have intimacy with this king, the way that he's going to establish his kingdom, you may end up perishing because you will w- war against him. Final, like, I cannot even think about it. Like yeah. Many of our friends who are, leaving jesus right now this might be like oh they don't go to church anymore they they don't believe in christianity if jesus will come back in five years from now it's most likely that people that left the lord are gonna gather and rally in jerusalem to physically try to make war against the lamb yeah that that's crazy just to think about it
0: well because the The wild thing is, is Jesus came obviously the first time, right? He died on the cross to bear the penalty of the wrath of God on behalf of humanity. So when we believe in Jesus as savior, we believe then that he took the punishment that we rightly deserve as being enemies of God, you know, enemies of the state, so to speak. He bore that punishment on our behalf, but that that doesn't mean that his wrath is fully dissolved. No, Jesus bore the wrath for anyone who believed in him, but his coming again to the earth is to say, okay, I've been patient.
1: Yeah. I've held
0: my peace for a long time. I came as the suffering servant and the gospel, the, the gospel that I came to bear the wrath of God on your behalf. This has been preached in all of the earth and I've, I, it looks like I've been slack concerning my promises. It looks like I've held off, but He's saying, "I'm I am coming back, and I, I'm coming back now to release my wrath on all of those who rejected the 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 suffering servant. Yeah, on all those who rejected the oh, yeah. sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb slain on the cross." And and Romans one tells us that everyone who rejects him is actually laying up for themselves a revelation of the wrath of God when he comes back, which is completely terrifying. Yeah. But essentially it's we have the opportunity to believe in Jesus who took the penalty for us. But if we do not, he is still a just king. He is going to come back and pour out his wrath on everyone who does not want him.
1: That is so intense and it's so true. It's offen- what you just said is so offensive, but it's so true. It's the truth of the gospel. Yeah. That's what every, that's when we preach the gospel to unsafe people, that's what we are saying, yeah. ultimately. You, you, sorry, I interrupted you.
0: No, I mean, that was the point. But that's why this title of Jesus as the ruler over the kings of the earth, it's massive. Like, honestly, I feel like we could talk a few more hours about this because um, just as you get acquainted with Jesus as like a real king, you start seeing all scriptures pop up all throughout the bible of what he's going to do as a king um even just you know uh him coming to e- when he comes to execute that judgment on the earth it's crazy you guys like yeah we could go on for hours about it but <clears throat> excuse me i know this podcast is getting a little bit long and so we need to wrap up even yeah. though we're so excited right now
1: yeah i have one more thing to say and probably people can leave the podcast if you want. <laughs> Close us off. So 2 Corinthians, Paul gives this image that I studied like 10 years ago, and I just came back to my mind right now. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. A very misunderstood passage by me until I got it. It says, verse 14, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. I thought, I used to quote this verse, like, I'm always in Christ in, in, I mean, I will, I can do everything in Christ, which is true, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's using this image. He says, now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. The word in Greek is triumphia, which means he's taking this word from from, uh, uh, the Roman Empire, which means this. Let's say the Caesar say, I want to go and take this kingdom. So he sends an evangelist saying three days ahead.
0: Like an ambassador.
1: Yeah, an ambassador. He's saying, hey, I, the Caesar wants your land, and he's going to win. He's giving you the option of being part of his cabinet, or you make war against him, and he's going to win. He has conquered. He is so massively most powerful, and you like, it's ridiculous. So if they say yes, many will just be part of the kingdom of the Caesar. They would not lose their position, but be part of the kingdom. They will be one of the kings. But when they say no, the Caesar will come, execute all the military, and then he will have a triumphal procession, which is the word that Paul is using, and it will be like this, the king will, the new Caesar will have a procession with all the people of that land looking and watching as he is being, uh, you know, praised by the, as the new king. And in behind the procession, the king that was conquered will be in chains, naked, following the triumphal procession, and then executed in front of everyone to make a statement, <laughs> So intense. It's intense. That's and Paul is using this word. I am, thanks be to God, that now I'm a slave, I'm a conquered person by this king. And through this, so he's basically saying, I I received Jesus as the King, He overcame me, and now through this triumphal procession, he is spreading the good news of the gospel. That Because he was in the road to to uh, Damascus, and he was conquered by Jesus in love. Mm-hmm. So Satan is in that same procession, This same everyone. But the only difference that Paul is saying is, I am in Christ. So I'm not going to be executed. I'm going to rule with him. But we're all in that procession. He's going to be the king forever, with or without us. And now in this season, before he comes back, what you're saying is, he gives us the chance. Do you want to be cleansed and be part of my kingdom through my blood? Or you want to try to resist me? And at the end, you're going to bow down yeah. anyways.
0: Because at the end of the day, he is the ruler over all the kings of the earth. And that's why even in uh, Philippians 2, we see that, um, that the Father has exalted him high above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee yes. will bow down and yes. every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Absolutely. That's not just, again, it's not some ethereal thing. It's We're going to confess that he is the king of kings. Yes. That he is the God king yeah. who's coming to set up his throne and rule in the earth.
1: Yeah, he. that was Paul, Philippians 2, quoting Isaiah 45, which is a millennial kingdom passage yeah in fullness so
0: we're, we're falling down a rabbit trail oh, a little bit man. but we're excited <laughs> this title
1: is so loaded and we need to preach about this yeah and be encouraged that as persecution and restriction from social media and the nation start choking the church with pressure this title will remind us That no matter what happens in this life, the king that was dead and now is alive and will never die is the one who is coming. So even if we die by preaching this gospel, we will be resurrected with the Son of Man and we're going to win. (laughs) That We're actually going to win because of him. It's awesome. It's amazing. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast again.
0: (laughs) Glad you're back. It's exciting. You guys... I hope you're as excited as we are, uh, in just talking about this and hearing about it. Um, we, we need to keep talking about this. Well, we'll unfold it more, I'm sure in future podcasts, yes. but this is amazing. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're so encouraged to see how, um, this podcast is blessing you guys. Yeah. Thank you for tagging us on social media and, um, even sharing it. Uh, we really feel encouraged that you're getting blessed by this yeah um and we will look forward to talking to you guys in future episodes see you later Bye.